Hi, welcome to this episode of Lifestyle Matters. I'm Dr. Sabina Nithyanandan, and today I'm joined by Dr. Fergal Armstrong, who has a special interest um, in addiction medicine, and he's actually specialized in it. Welcome, Fergal. Thanks for joining us today. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Great. So today I thought we might talk about one of the common addictions in the world, um, nicotine, smoking. Um, And I guess, well, let's get started about smoking. Why do we find, why do we struggle? Why, what is so bad about smoking? I guess let's start with that. Well, I think you've got to understand there are, there are three main issues with smoke that comes out of tobacco smoking. You have to understand what happens due to the nicotine. You have to understand what happens to the tar and you have to understand what happens to the carbon monoxide. And so if we go through all of those, first of all, the nicotine is the substance that causes the addiction. The tar, tar is full of what we call polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. And it's the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, the PAHs, that cause all of the diseases of smoking. So, you know, all the vascular diseases, including heart disease and stroke and uh, peripheral vascular disease. And it's the one that also causes the enzyme induction. And it's the, it's the one that causes all of the smoking-related cancers. And then we have the carbon monoxide content, which impairs oxygenation of tissues and therefore also impairs wound healing and reduces, in the very short term, it reduces um, aerobic capacity. So there are three elements and they all have different problems on the human body. Okay, so I guess if if I were to get that correctly, um, to put it very simplistically, if we had a form of delivering nicotine, which does not have the tar and the carbon monoxide, would that be a safer approach for people who are addicted to smoking? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, nicotine is as dangerous as caffeine, and yet we freely ingest caffeine. Yeah. Now, caffeine has got problems if you take too much of it, but, you know, nicotine per se is not associated with any cancer, not associated with a worsening uh, of vascular disease. and is not. A, 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 but what it does is it creates the addiction, which then drives the ingestion of all of the other, all of the other pathological substances. So the next question then would be, why is nicotine addictive? So all addictive substances, either directly or indirectly, increase the amount of dopamine that is in the brain structure called the nucleus accumbens. Now, inside our brains, the nucleus accumbens deals with with the joy that we get from thrills in life, from pleasure, from sex, from food, from winning. All of that ecstasy is mediated by dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. And nicotine, just like every other substance of, of, of addiction, increases the amount of dopamine in that part of the brain. That's why it causes addiction. And we actually know that nicotine is the most addictive substance known to man. So when you look at all of the commonly misused substances, one measure of the addictive potential of a substance is what we call the risk of dependency after first exposure. And we know that that risk for nicotine is 32%. And compare that with heroin, which is only 23%. And compare that with um, alcohol, which is fifteen percent, and cocaine what about is caffeine? seventeen. I actually don't know the. I don't actually know that number. So I, I, my hierarchy is nicotine, 
heroin, cocaine, alcohol, stimulants, which is 11%, and cannabis, which is 9%. So you can see how nicotine is actually much more addictive than, uh, than practically every other addictive substance. And, you know, in, in Australia, we are battling with the opioid epidemic and we're battling with the ice epidemic. Nicotine is much more addictive than uh, opioids and methamphetamine. And interestingly, nicotine is also more readily available. Um, you can so get it very much easier yeah. than the other drugs. Yes. It's interesting, Absolutely. isn't it? Yeah. Now, going back to your question of, you know, is, is nicotine in itself harmful? It's not harmful. And that's why actually vaping is much less harmful than smoking. And that's why the use of nicotine replacement therapy is, 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 is very safe. And even in high-risk situations, you still can use it because the benefits outweigh the risk. But we'll, I presume we'll move yeah. on to We'll come to that in a bit. In this yeah. Discussion. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if we're, since we're talking about why it's so addictive, why do we actually – so it, would you say is that why people find it so hard to quit nicotine or are there any other reasons around that? Yeah. So it's, it's absolutely it's, – it's purely because nicotine is the most addictive substance uh, that we have. And the, the, you know, it's it's, a re, it's really important to understand the the role of willpower in quitting. People say, oh, if you want to quit smoking, it's easy. You know, my my uncle Joe, he woke up at the age of sixty five and decided he wasn't going to smoke another cigarette again. And job job done. He just quit. So if he can do it, so can you. We know that roughly five percent per year will quit smoking with willpower alone. That's a terrible figure. And I guess if you think about it, so what I'm hearing is, you know, the fact that it's such an addictive substance, that's one of the main mm. reasons why it's so hard to quit. The fact that it's yeah. readily available around is another reason. And social and social support, isn't it? Like, you know, if you're trying to quit yeah. and someone else is still smoking and they're not on the same boat, then, yeah. you know, quitting would be a bit harder. Yeah, you've got to understand the, that all addictive use is not just about the neurobiology. It's all about the psychosocial context. So remember the advertising that used to go on with, with, with tobacco. You know, the, the Marlboro cowboy, the man in the street corner, corner feeling lonely and then lighting up a cigarette and feeling better. So nicotine is, is, was marketed as, as cool, as, as macho, and as a social thing to do. Um, you know, there's this huge undercurrent of advertising that, that, is, that, that permeates the, the perpetuation of nicotine dependence. Yeah. Was that in the 40s or 50s where it was just a cool in thing to do? And, you know, in, this, well, in, this, I, in office spaces, they were smoking also, just in an enclosed yeah. space. It's just... Marlboro Man, I think, was in the 70s or 80s. Um, yeah, but, you I'm know, thinking... I'm, really pleased, I'm really pleased now to see that, that, that advertising for nicotine is banned. Uh, I'm looking forward to nicotine itself being banned but then yeah. that that opens a huge um can of worms in terms of the, the war on drugs you know we'll keep that for another time <laughs> that's perhaps another yeah. issue yeah yeah okay so i guess well first let's just dive into why why is um so how does it actually affect our health so you mentioned right. about you know our cardiovascular heart disease yeah. peripheral vascular disease yeah. um lungs did you want to just go in yeah, about so, that a bit yep so there are, there are a couple of key processes that you need to understand. So it all boils down to the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. So first of all, they accelerate the progression of atherogenesis. So what is atherogenesis? So that's the, the process by which fat deposits are, are, are deposited. Sorry, that's why fatty plaques are deposited on blood vessels. And if you have a high-pressure vessel and you put a deposit in it that... It, that and you change some of the strength of the lining of the wall into fat, 
you reduce the, um, the, the, the strength of that part of the, of the high pressure vessel wall. And that's what happens in arteries. And so if you accelerate the process of atherogenesis, you, you increase the risk of plaque rupture and plaque thrombus and then downstream infarction. So that can cause in the heart, heart attacks, in the brain, uh, thrombotic and ischemic strokes, and in the legs, it can accelerate peripheral vascular disease. So that can then lead to heart attack, strokes, and, and amputation. If you look at small vessel disease, we know that, that uh, these, these substances damage the eye. So you can get um, you know, retinopathy, it can cause blindness, it can cause uh, macular degeneration. And we also know that it can affect nerves. Um, we, we know that there are various clinical syndromes that are, that, that are known to be exacerbated by uh, tobacco smoking. So we know, for instance, that chronic pain is worst, worsened by smoking. We know that mood, depression, and anxiety are, are worsened by smoking. So that's a really important point to make. A lot of people think that smoking relieves tension and anxiety. Well, it may relieve acute tension in the acute situation, but in the long term, it actually, it actually contributes to a worsening mental health picture and a worsening anxiety. So if we move then on to uh, the cancer, so you know, the key thing about nicotine is that it, it actually promotes, and it, it actually initiates uh, and promotes cancer. So it increases the risk of practically every cancer in the body, in particular lung cancer, in particular um, bowel cancer, kidney cancer, aerodigestive tract cancer. And the combination of, um, the combination of alcohol and nicotine actually increase the rate of aerodigestive tract cancer significantly. So when I was much younger, I, I worked in a city called Lille in France. And Lille was the capital city of the region in France called the Nord-Pas-de-Calais. And in that region, they had one of the highest incidences of um, esophageal and throat cancers. And they also then, that's because they had the highest concentration of people who drank the most and smoked the most. So the combination of alcohol and nicotine is, 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 is very dangerous, but yes, um, the initiation and the promotion of cancer. And then we also have the progression of diseases. So for, for instance, we know that smoking actually causes progression of uh, kidney disease. So if you really want to reduce your renal function, you, you know, smoking, continuing to smoke will do that. So if you look at someone who smokes, potentially they, they're having a, an operation to cut out a lung cancer, but they've got no legs, they've had a heart attack, they've had a stroke, and they're in, in chronic pain and they're always anxious. It just is a, it's just a, a, a kind of a complete tempest of pathology going straight into someone. Now that we know that there are so many ill effects of, you know, smoking um, and, you know, it's impacts on our different parts of our body, what advice would you give for someone who's trying to quit um, and what therapies are out there? So let's break it down. Let's talk about the therapies. First. How do you quit? Well, if I can answer your first question first, which is, you know, how do you how do you approach someone in, in terms of smoking cessation? I think the key thing is to do the five A's assessment. And the first question in the five A's assessment is ask. You have to ask people if they smoke. And a lot of clinical colleagues of mine are very nihilistic. They, they feel that people don't want to be asked about smoking because they don't want to quit. Well, that's not actually what the evidence says. The evidence says that people want to be asked and then they want to have a discussion about quitting and they don't mind talking about quitting options. So most people, who smoke, most people who smoke want to quit. Most people who smoke yeah. regret the day they ever lifted up a cigarette and they want help. And I think even when you ask that question, if someone's actually not interested in talking about it at that point, 
you've sort of opened things out. You've sort of let you know opened the topic. Um, and I have had this happen to me later on in you know further visits. They actually talk about it. They bring it up a bit more. They're a bit freer to talk about it. So the fact that we ask, even if someone's not ready to talk about it, it just sort of breaks the ice a little bit. I find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Always ask the question. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Yeah. In terms of helping people, <clears throat> we know that roughly five percent of people will do it by willpower alone. We know that that counseling and willpower will bring it up to about 8%. We know that nicotine replacement therapy will bring it up to about 8%. We know that um, Shampix will actually increase that to about 36%. We know, so, so even with the best will in the world, what we now regard as the, as the champagne intervention for smoking cessation, which is uh, Varenicline Shampix, it it only will it has a success rate of about 12, over 12 months of about 36%. So the majority of people who try and quit with Shampix, well, in their per year, will only the majority of people will get back on the cigarettes, which then speaks to just how addictive it is. But I conceptualize the pharmacotherapy associated with uh, smoking cessation as nicotine replacement therapies, um, pharmacology, and then vaping. So if we talk about pharmacology, uh, sorry, if we talk about nicotine replacement therapy first, so basically this goes back to the point that nicotine is as harmful as caffeine. So it's a very safe um, product. So you, you can get nicotine replacement therapy in the form of chewing gum, in the form of lozenges, in the form of nicotine spray, in the form of inhalators, and in the form of patches. A lot of people say to me, oh, I tried the patches, it didn't work. One of the reasons why patches don't work is they only give you a baseline uh, value or a baseline level of nicotine. They don't give you enough nicotine to satisfy cravings and urges. So I, I advocate the use of patches and short-acting gums, lozenges, inhalators, or sprays. The two together are known to work synergistically and work improve the success rates of nicotine cessation. To that, I'll also just add, I find the gum is also quite helpful for people who actually stress smoke, who just reach that cigarette for that cigarette when they're stressed. So I find that if they reach for a nicotine gum or chewy, it actually, that motion of just chewing and also having a nicotine actually is better for them. That has been my experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't ever have any compunction in uh, using two patches at a time, even though they say the top dose is, is a 120 milligram patch a day. Well, you know, if people need two, they need two. Because at the end of the mm -hmm. day, it boils down to the fact nicotine is safe, much, 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 much safer than um smoking. So if it's the difference between someone picking up a cigarette or having two patches, for instance, rather than one, well, so be it. Yep. There, is the, there are some concerns about, you know, the, the, the role of nicotine replacement therapy in, um, in ischemic heart disease and in pregnancy. But quite frankly, it all boils down to the fact that it's much more harmful to smoke in those situations. So on a risk benefit analysis, it, I favor the prescribing of nicotine replacement therapy and the use of nicotine replacement therapy in these high-risk situations. Yep. I remember when we were doing a cardiovascular a cardio unit um, with this amazing cardiologist, every person who came in with a heart attack who was smoking had a patch on. It was just standard patch for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's basically, I think, adapted quite well. So what about the other pharmacotherapies that are out there yeah. uh, go apart from nicotine replacement therapy? So, so the pharmacotherapies, uh, there's, there's three that we, that we can conceptualize. I mean, um, so there's uh, bupropion, uh, varenicline, and nortriptyline. So remember I said to you that um, 
the key thing about the addictive potential of nicotine was it elevates dopamine levels in the nucleus accumbens. So bupropion is, uh, was originally as an, an antidepressant and, it, it, and it's one of its mechanisms that it also elevates dopamine. Uh, so basically the idea is that you, you create in the brain elevated dopamine so that you don't actually notice the effect of the additional dopamine rush from cigarettes. And that's basically how bupropion works. So it started out as an antidepressant, it elevates dopamine, and it's been found to be very useful in um, smoking cessation. The course is about nine weeks. It's really important to finish the course because it's the end point of all of the pharmacotherapies is not actually the day that you quit. It's actually converting your brain, I say, doesn't really, but I say to patients, it converts your brain from being a smoker to being a non, from being a smoker to being a non-smoker. And I say that because I want to emphasize it's really important to complete the course. The next one is uh, Shampix. Now we know that that is a, a partial agonist of the alpha four beta two nicotine receptor. And that means then that it blocks the effect of other sources of nicotine, but it also gives you a low grade tickling of the receptor. And that then minimizes our cravings for other, other sources of nicotine. And then we have, uh, and I, sorry, and then again, that, that the Shampix course is about 12 weeks and it's really important to complete the course. And then we have nortriptyline. Now, nortriptyline is an old tricyclic uh, antidepressant. But for some reason, it is found to be beneficial in smoking cessation by a mechanism which we do not yet understand. It is a mechanism that is independent of its antidepressant effect. Its efficacy as a smoking cessation agent has been proven in populations who are not depressed. It's been proven to help people with depression and smoking, but it's also been proven to help people with just smoking issues who are not depressed. And again, you would use that for nine to 12 weeks. It is possible for people to experience breakthrough urges during these pharmacotherapies, in which case I would recommend the use of additional short-acting nicotine replacement therapy on top. And it is possible to combine nicotine therapies, you know, NRT with pharmacotherapies. What I don't recommend is the combination of, of oral pharmacotherapy. So I wouldn't recommend um, uh, bupropion and Shampix together, at least not in this country. I am aware that in Canada, it is recommended, but I, I, I don't do that in my clinical practice. Yeah. Then we move on to vaping. There's a lot of concern around vaping because there have been case reports of people who, who've had acute respiratory problems and even dying as a result of vaping. The key thing about vaping to remember is that you've got the risk of the heavy metal toxicity from the heating elements, but basically the, the harmful effects of nicotine and the, the products associated with nicotine are much, much reduced with vaping. Effectively, you've got a one in 200 uh, one 200th the uh, harmful cancer-causing um, properties in vaping compared to normal cigarette smoke. And overall, they say that the dangers of vaping are about 5% of the dangers of uh, smoking. You do need in Australia to get a prescription to actually use nicotine fluid in a vaping device now that the laws recently changed. But as a harm reduction intervention for adults who are already smoking, it is a therapeutic option that has been shown to be better than nicotine replacement therapy. It is, however, potentially a gateway drug for children to actually start experimenting with vaping and then moving on to cigarettes. So I don't recommend it for children, but for adults who've already tried 
nicotine replacement therapy and oral pharmacotherapy, it is a it is a validated harm reduction intervention. Yeah. And I guess all of all of these therapies, I guess the one important thing that needs to sort of blanket all of them would be, I would say, behavioral psychotherapy, CBT, any sort of psychological therapy to support this quitting, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Just in the interest of time, I guess. Just um. Any? Do you have any tips or anything that you'd like to tell our viewers about giving up smoking and where yeah. they can get some help if they should they require it? So the first thing I would say is never quit quitting. You know, if you look at the cycle of change, it takes about potentially seven cycles to actually get rid of a, or a, a substance use disorder. So, you know, it can take you maybe up to seven goes to quit, to, you know, but don't quit quitting. Mm-hmm. Secondly, don't be afraid to take medication. There are a lot of concern around, um, you know, the use of medication for, for smoking cessation. And there's two issues I'd like to address. One is the issue of, oh, I took Shampix and it sent me mad. I've heard that from patients. And then, then I need to speak about caffeine. So if I talk about, you know, going mad, Shampix has been accused of causing acute decompensation of uh, mental health and um, especially exacerbating schizophrenia. It has been proven in a court of law to be innocent of all charges. Shampix does not cause or worsen schizophrenia. Shampix does not uh, worsen depression. It is the underlying act of smoking cessation that does it, not the Shampix. So yes, it is entirely appropriate uh, to prescribe Shampix to people with mental health problems, but you do need to monitor patients for acute psychological distress and decompensation, and you may need to manage that appropriately. And for some people, it might mean you abandon the attempted smoking cessation. But Shampix in and of itself has not been proven to be a culprit in this. It is the underlying stress of coming off what is, after all, a very addictive substance. The second issue I want to talk about is the role of caffeine. <clears throat> so we know that um, one of the key constituents of tobacco smoke are PAHs. And we know that PAHs affect the liver and are what we call enzyme inducers. So smoking induces the enzyme CYP450, the 1A2 subtype. That is the enzyme that metabolizes caffeine. So for people who smoke, they, for every cup of coffee, actually ingest much less caffeine than someone who doesn't smoke. So to actually maintain their caffeine levels, they actually need to drink lots more coffee. So it's not uncommon to find smokers drinking 10 to 20 cups of coffee a day because they have to, to maintain the levels of caffeine in their system because they smoke. Now, if you're used to drinking 20 cups of coffee a day and maybe having 20 cigarettes a day, you suddenly stop smoking and you continue to drink 20 cups of coffee a day, you've lost that enzyme induction. So your liver is no longer quite so capable of chewing through all the caffeine that you are ingesting. And so you then create a situation where you're getting into caffeine toxicity. And caffeine toxicity can cause agitation, stimulation. So you, you then, as you're going through smoking cessation, you get much more stimulated and you can't cope. And so therefore, you think you cannot cope with quitting smoking. And that's why the patches don't work. That's why the treatment that you're on doesn't work because it makes you feel more agitated. Well, actually, the reason why your attempt at quitting smoking didn't work was because you didn't actually reduce your caffeine intake and you were experiencing 
not only the stress of smoking cessation, but you were experiencing acute caffeine intoxication. So what we so think the, we're having smoking withdrawals is actually more got to do with the caffeine withdrawals. Exactly. Basically. So if you yeah. are smoking and you drink coffee, no matter if it's just one cup a day, you have to significantly reduce, at least cut down by half your caffeine intake during the time you're coming off the fags. Yeah. And so that you don't even have trouble sleeping after that also. Gosh, I can't even imagine 20 cups of coffee, how that would make me feel when I don't have, I'm not chewing through all this caffeine. Okay. Any other pearls of wisdom, um, Fergal? That's all for today then, That's all for today then? Great. Well, I mean, that was a really good um, overview about smoking, why it's so addictive and what its effects on our health are and how we can actually get some help around it. Um, I suppose, you know, speak to your GPs if you're, you know, um, wanting to start quitting. I think that's a good starting point. There's also Quitline um, also that's available that can offer you support, um, maybe to text messages, phone calls. Um, There are lots of resources out there, but I guess first one will be your GP. Anyway, that's all we have time for today then. Virgo, thanks for joining us. That is all for today's episode. We'll see you next time. 